Ah, uh, who doesn't love a good crossover event? We're chatting with Justin Lotta on today's Locked On Godcast. You're listening to the Selfie Is Godcast with Zach Meisel and TJ Zupi. Subscribe to Selby Is Godcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Unbelievable. It's like, I don't know, two years in the making. Hasn't been here in two years. I'm so excited. And this time, Zach, you're actually here for it. So I couldn't be any more excited than I am to talk to Justin again. It's been too long, and we need we need the just the look into the minor league system that I know he can provide. So are you ready today? Yeah, he's just reading his list of top the, the top prospect rankings and then we're out of here, right? <laughs> exactly. Justin, I I offered you to come on the show and I, and I I said it was because we really wanted to talk to you, but I think we're just tired of talking. People are tired of hearing from us. They just want to hear us talk with you. So Perfect time, great time in the offseason, because as you said before we started, we're just all sitting in our basements waiting for the Guardians to do something. So I don't know, let's bring on a third voice here, and and we can banter across different podcasts. So you've heard him on Locked On Guardians, and now he's he's making another appearance on the Selby is Godcast. So thanks for being here, Justin. We appreciate it. I talk five days a week. I got to imagine people are as sick of my voice as you guys might be sick of your own at this point. Yeah, it's interesting. You So you guys do that show every day, and you get to take a different approach than than we do. You you really got to dig in on some, some very intricate details, whereas I feel like, Zach, we get to take more of an overhead view. And in some ways, uh, I'm kind of jealous of, of their ability to talk about very – like the minutia of, of different things. And, and sometimes I wish we had the time to get into that. And there are other days that I'm sure Justin would just look at me and said, what are you talking about? <laughs> there ain't no way you want to do this five days a week like we do. So you guys are the champions over there, locked on on, on Guardians. I'm just glad the Guardians have given us so much to talk about, you know, winning the, the lottery and then the TV deal. At least there's a lot that happens, maybe not with the Guardians during the offseason, but just in baseball in general. Like there are usually talking points where you can make it Guardians adjacent. I always wonder how... Like the college football offseason is like nine months. How do people come up with things to talk about on May 23rd as it pertains to whatever college team you you follow? At least with baseball, the offseason, like it, it's, I don't know. You have certain checkpoints. You got the winter meetings. You have the next Bally's Diamond Sports hearing. I don't know. I guess maybe I'm talking myself out of it. I actually disagree you with sure? what I just said. There's nothing to talk about. Well, I mean, we are waiting for the prospect list to drop, and I can't wait to talk about prospects with Justin. But let's talk about some of the younger players within Cleveland that I know you guys have spent been spending just hours upon hours really trying to figure out what this team is going to be and what those young players are going to be. And really, there are so many young players that leave us questioning what they're going to be in their career that you could almost just take a dart to the dartboard and throw it and land on somebody and you could probably find something interesting to talk about. So I'm going to do that and I'm going to arrive at Andre Semenez because I was just listening to a podcast where they were trying to evaluate what sort of season he was going to have. And Zach and I have just talked about, obviously, he's such a special, complete player just from the standpoint of the combination of offense, defense, speed. 
But there's such a offensive disconnect between what his 22 looked like and his 23 looked like. And I'm curious from your perspective, what are you anticipating from Andre Semenes? I mean, I think if you if you look at the data from 2022, like everybody in Cleveland, the average on balls in play was super high. Everybody was hitting squibs back up the, the middle and getting hits. We saw Oscar Gonzalez even do that. So I, And then last year he had a regression. So I think that the truth is probably somewhere in the middle, like everything else. I think he'll rebound. I mean, there's no way he's going to carry what he did in 2022 probably, but it's hard to believe he was as bad as he was last year. Otherwise, you know, the $100 million or whatever deal it was, defensively he can carry a lot and maybe he can carry that to shortstop. But it's hard to believe he'll be where he was offensively for most of the year. And he did pick it up towards the end of the year. So hopefully that's a a sign of things, you know, moving back in the right direction for him. We can get so disenchanted with the state of the league, the economics, the just the playing field, landscape. What keeps me coming back, at least, is there's so much we don't know. And it's such an unpredictable game from an individual standpoint. I have no idea if Andre Semenez is going to be 2022 version, 2023 version, maybe something better. Maybe maybe he's even worse than last year. Like I anything is possible. And like we have ranges of outcomes that we can say, well, it's probably going to fall in here, but you don't know. And and so it's especially with a team like this. And this is not like you know, it's easy to think at this time of year that everybody is going to have their best case scenario season. And the rosy outlook and spring training helps that too. But this team is so young and unproven and inexperienced. Like I, how many players on the 26 man roster, like, do you feel confident that you could guess what their output would be this season? And like, you'd be confident that it would be close. Like that is such a small list. And I think that makes this I don't know, all the reasons you can be unhappy and not looking forward to the season. Like, I get it, believe me. And yet there is still that intrigue because there are so many players, even someone like Jimenez, who we've seen plenty of, who I just, like, I don't know. I have no idea what they're going to do in 2024. I ask about him to begin because as I was thinking about what I want to discuss today, it really struck me just how important he is to the offensive side of things, to the pitching side. And I want to get to some of the young pitchers coming up in a, in a, a few minutes here. We take Jose Ramirez for granted. Maybe we shouldn't, but we, we do. We just say, hey, that's, that's established. That's an MVP caliber player over there at third base. But who, who has the ability to really take this offense from being what it has been to, to help achieve its full ceiling? Who can really help achieve that? And I... As I'm going through, yeah, there are important players. Like I can't wait to see what Bo Naylor does in a, a full season at the major league level to see what he builds on this past year. But I feel like getting closer to what you saw in 22 with Jimenez, man, that goes a long way to making this a formidable team once again in this division to go on top of the, the amazing defense. And then there's this other part of it defensively where – we assume he's going to play second base. He probably will to begin the season, but there's a chance he could shift over to shortstop, and that's going to greatly alter what this team in the lineup and who's in there every single day because if they're doing that, it might be toward a, with an eye toward a Juan Brito type, getting him into the lineup, or maybe Tyler Freeman has played his way into those at-bats. He just He's such an intriguing player because there's still some ceiling to scratch, and it feels like he's just such an important 
member of getting this team back to even being a team that's capable of making noise within this division. Justin, who are who are the most interesting players to you heading into spring training? Like, who are you particularly intrigued by? I guess the cop answer is everybody. I mean, it's yes, that <laughs> I have is a no idea out. where everything fits. You've got a lot of guys on the roster who, <laughs> <laughs> if Zach doesn't get away uh, with I, that sort of thing, you definitely don't. Yeah, I, I won't. I won't say it depends, but uh, it's it's such a weird like locked roster. I mean, <sighs> spring training is is the worst time to evaluate a position. Like you're not going to get a good read on, you know, who should be the starting shortstop in 40 plate appearances against a guy who's going to wind up playing for the Lake Erie Crushers at some point in May. And you've got guys with with one option. Like I think that's who I'm looking at the most is you know. Who is David Davison De Los Santos? He hasn't played a, a day above Double A, and he took time off last year to go back to the complex leagues and rework his swing. And then you've got Arias and Rocchio. This is their last option year. This is the last option year for for George Valera, and he needs a healthy spring training. You know, as much as you're going to find in spring training, this is the last option year for for Freeman, for John Kenzie Noel. Like all these guys need to have a good season because Cleveland has to evaluate them. Cleveland needs them to have a good season. So I'm really curious to see where they fit into their plans, you know, in that last year of evaluation for them. What about on the pitching side? Zach, we have spent the last few episodes talking about this Bybee Williams battle of who's going to have a better season. And we believe so much in Tanner Bybee. But as I brought up in the past episode, there's a chance that maybe we see some regression. I think that's it, it's probably more fair to just bake that in because we're talking about a young pitcher. That This is his his second full season coming up essentially in the big league. So you're going to anticipate there's going to be some some challenges that he didn't see in his rookie year. And then there's Gavin Williams over there with this sparkling stuff, but maybe mentally hasn't gotten to where Tanner Bybee is yet. And I, I'm, I, I go from there, there are young players that you're nervous about, and then there are young players that you don't know what they're going to be, but you're excited to see where they get. And for Justin, Justin looking at these two, you know, what, what do you anticipate them achieving this upcoming? What can they achieve, and maybe what should our realistic expectations be, do you think? I mean, progression's never, what do they say, never linear, right? Or never, it never goes in the same direction. Sometimes things go a little bit backwards, so you can never guarantee anything. I still think Tanner Bybee has the strongest track record of anybody. I mean, he's come through college in the minor leagues, has never been hurt. And I know he's older and he did play a long time in college, but, you know, he was only drafted in 2021, did not even pitch in the minors in 2021, as most Guardians prospects don't. They're draft here. They don't play at all. Uh, so he only had, you know, a full year in the minor leagues. So maybe there's still some ceiling to scratch there for him. You know, does Logan Allen figure out whatever he couldn't get through the fifth inning last year with foul balls and, and kind of uh, trying to squeeze the corners a little bit. Gavin Williams, I mean, the the sky's the limit for him. If he can continue that run where he, what, he found some extra velocity at some point later in the year, they worked on a mechanical hitch there. I mean, the sky is definitely the limit uh, for Gavin Williams. I think there's still a lot of untapped potential there that we haven't seen at the major league level. Could be top five rotation. I don't think that's crazy. And I don't know if that's enough. 
you, you bring up Logan Allen, and we don't talk about him much. But, Zach, I mean, haven't you said for the past, like, month, I feel like, that we're just selling him short? That we're just unfairly... Maybe it's because he doesn't possess maybe the lights-out stuff that certainly Williams does, and maybe even Bybee. But even in the minor leagues, some of the stuff numbers have suggested that Logan Allen can be right kind of in line with where Bybee has been at. Do you think, Justin, we're, we're not giving Logan Allen enough credit to be able to overcome those issues that you were just talking about? Maybe. I mean, he doesn't have the physical tools that, that Bybee and Williams have necessarily. But, I mean, he also kind of went through a similar thing in AAA where he got there, you know, two years ago and he really scuffled at the end of the year and he came back and he worked on that and fixed that and got to the majors this year. Probably, you know, he was going to get to the majors at some point in 23 and all those guys got there before I think Cleveland had hoped. But, you know, he showed enough there. I think it's it's definitely warranted to – is he going to be necessarily a, a guy who pitches as well? I mean, I know they're not rookies anymore, but is he going to be as good as a rookie of the year runner up? Maybe not, but he still fits pretty well in that uh, rotation of five. I mean, they very well could be one of the best rotations in baseball. If you're, you know, banking on health, which is always a dangerous thing to do. And he's another one who like fits what I'm talking about, where you have no idea what he's going to do. He he could, he could flame out, spend most of the year in AAA. He could be like your most reliable entity in that rotation. Like I, there's, there are so many guys on this roster with just a wide spectrum of potential outcomes, and and he's one of them too. Because we we just assume we take what we saw last year, and we just assume like, all right, it's going to be similar. And that that's so often not the case. Like you're just underestimating what these guys can focus on in the offseason and you're also underestimating how the opposition might solve them and how they might struggle to make adjustments so I, I you never know I like he's he's interesting to me because it seemed like some of the pitfalls he had last season were things that he was able to overcome when he had struggles in the minors so like I, I still think the the command and the walk rate can get better and that could open some things up. And also, when you're a pitcher for the first time in the majors, it's so different. You just you see your stuff play, and you learn what works and doesn't. And it's totally different than what works and doesn't work in the minors. So, I don't know. I I again like I feels like making predictions on like Logan Allen's gonna have an awesome year is pointless because you can only look like an idiot. But I I think I do think that we spend so much time talking about Bybee and Williams and rightfully so, but I, I think Allen, like I, he just has that look of like a guy who's going to inexplicably carry the rotation for a month this season. And it'll be like a critical development. What have you guys talked about in, in terms of behind the pitches that we all know, the five that are, we anticipate starting the season with that next line of defense. How nervous are you about if Curry, if Gaddis again is pushed into into duty, because it, it's inevitable, you're not going to make it through the season with those five starters. How, how big of a concern is that for you? I mean, if it's if it's a uh, one start, two start situation, if you got a guy who's out for two weeks, it's definitely you know you could throw Xavier Curry in there, you probably throw Hunter Gaddis in there. But if you're talking about you know a situation in 2023 where you had McKenzie or, or Bieber out for half the season that's probably not a situation you want to get into. And after that, your best option is, is Joey Cantillo at that point. And there are still some things he has to work on in AAA. So there's, there's not a really good uh, fail safe plan here where if anybody 
gets hurt. If anybody falters, you know, like I said, I think a short term, it's fine. But in the long term, I don't think you have you definitely don't have a Bybee, a Williams and Allen to bring up this year and just kind of let things go and, you know, hope that at the end of the year you can monitor their innings and stop them from going too far. But, you know, not too long ago, there was there was a guy down there that was joining the likes of those. His name, Daniel Espino. <laughs> and you know what? We don't talk about him because he's off the map. Injuries have taken him that way. And even if he finds a way to get back into the team's plans this year, it's tough to anticipate he's going to be starting games for this team in the second half. How can you expect that? So I'm curious because you're talking about a guy that has just incredible stuff. And probably just from a stuff perspective, people have thrown around the term unicorn to describe him for years. Now that we don't know health where he's at, but you think if he's healthy, he's he's got an ability to go lead a rotation. And I think people just look at the safety net. If nothing else, he's a dynamite closer. As someone that has to put together prospect rankings in an offseason, what do you do with this kid? How do you evaluate him? Because he didn't disappear, but he kind of did this past year. Daniel Spino turned 23 like a couple of weeks ago, and I looked it up, and he would still have been a year younger than the average player at double A last year, which is where he last pitched. So it, it is very easy to forget how young he is and how long it's been since he watched him pitch. I mean, I threw up some highlights on his birthday and I was like, okay, I forget that this guy was, was really good. And, and most people thought he could have been the best pitching prospect in baseball. If you believe in, you know, pitching prospects and you talk about all these guys that we have no idea what kind of outcomes they're going to have. That's a wide range. And, and, probably nobody has a wider range than, than Daniel Espino, right? Because if it were just Tommy John surgery, then you might have some ability to say, okay, well, we know how guys bounce back from Tommy John, but it's shoulder surgery. And it's been, you know, 20 months or whatever it's been since he last pitched. So there's so much unknown there. The only thing I can say is that, you know, you're banking on, on the upside, you're banking on what he once was, and you have no idea if he's going to look like that, you know, post-shoulder surgery. You do know that, this guy was a workout warrior, took care of his body, and it still broke on him, unfortunately. But he's probably going to put in all the work that it takes to to come back to where he was. But, you know, you just got to throw up way more red flags on him and, and adjust your expectations based on a surgery Not you know, not many guys have probably come back from. I just want to see him pitch. Like, I'm so curious to see where the fastball's sitting how sharp the secondary stuff is. I mean, I think best case scenario, he's probably makes a couple relief appearances, maybe late in the summer for the big league team, like best case scenario. But it's not even like, it's not about performance even really. And it's not about like who he's facing in the minors, like start him wherever you want, double a triple like that doesn't matter. It's just reps, right? Like it's, Get him on the mound. See what he can do. And then figure out the role next year. Once he proves he can stay healthy, shoulders sound, the stuff looks good. Um, Because it's going to, it's not, you know, he's, if he's ever going to throw 180 innings in a season, that's not happening for a while. It's going to be years before he builds up to that. So, um, I don't know. I just want to see him pitch. I feel like we got shortchanged. I'm sure he feels like that too. The other part of this team is the bullpen, obviously. And it's funny, we were running through the roster this this most recent episode, and I don't think I fully realized how 
set in stone pretty much the entire team is. I mean, we could make we could have conversations about Ben Lively and whether he's going to be the last man in the bullpen and just looking at it, I don't see a lot of chances for other guys to jump in there. Not that they have a lot of candidates. Most of the the other pitchers that maybe we could talk about are guys that they want to keep stretched out like Curry, like Gaddis at the at the minor league level. We knew that was an area that needed to be fortified going into the offseason. They brought in Scott Barlow. Where are you at on this bullpen? Is this a team that's good enough as currently constructed in that bullpen, as much as you can predict a bullpen? Are they good enough? I think it's never a good idea to predict a bullpen. I mean, you would have assumed that uh, after 2022, things are going to be great in 2023. I'm still personally scarred from how good the Indians bullpen was in 2005. And then 2006, it was an absolute nightmare. Like I, I haven't recovered from that. I don't think I've recovered from the 2018 having to watch that bullpen. So if you're talking about trying to predict prospects or any range of outcomes, bullpen is probably the last place you want to try to do that. But it's a fun bullpen. I mean, if you think that paying the difference in Scott Barlow's salary versus Daniel De Los Santos on a team that isn't really spending any money is a good choice. Like there's that, that uh, opportunity there where if you want to trade Emmanuel Classe, you have Scott Barlow. If things don't go well, he becomes a trade ship. Um, I thought they could have used a veteran kind of guy in that bullpen last year. They kind of lacked it. At times, so maybe Barlow gives them that little bridge they didn't have last year. Um, but yeah, it's, it looks like it's very locked in. There's some guys at the end of the bullpen. I mean, are they going to keep paying James Karinchak? Do you have any idea what James Karinchak's going to be? Because I think that's the hardest one to predict. Eli Morgan feels like the same guy every year. Great first half and the second half, you have no idea. Nick Sandlin, you know, same thing. I think those are guys you could change in and out. Nick Sandlin somehow sells all of his options because he was injured most of the time he was on the 40-man roster. So he has, to, has all of his options, and you need guys to come up and down all year. So hopefully they have some depth in AAA they can rely on to move guys up and down I-71. You had mentioned Davis and the De Los Santos. Many of the moves they've made this offseason, while in a bubble, may not be the worst move, it also doesn't really coincide with a team that's trying to win this this, this next year especially keeping a Shane Bieber, but then also bringing in a Rule 5 guy, as you said, that's they can't even drink yet, <laughs> legally. And so, as someone that evaluates minor league prospects, as you do, when you see the Guardians take a shot on someone like that and bring him to the Major League roster, what does that tell you immediately? Because there's not a lot to go on when you're just looking at numbers or track record. So what does that tell you about his skill set that they're they're going to go make a chance on this kid and keep him on the roster? At least that's the plan as of now, if you want to hold on to him for the entire year. <laughs> it's a it's a complete deviation from from the roster building they've done. I'm all for taking chances on on players. I mean, they've clearly built this roster based on I don't want to say a rigid skill set, but, you know, it is a contact heavy offense. Maybe this is a guy who has a skill set that your your farm system doesn't possess and you want to try to add that to your roster any way possible. I mean, I guess you have to believe in the swing changes he made from throughout the year. Like I said, he took some he was on like the restricted list or whatever you want to call it. He was back in Arizona working on, you know, making some swing changes and things were much better for him after he came back. So you have to believe in 
those changes that they actually clicked and they're going to work. But yeah, I, I'm all for diversifying the roster and seeing what happens. I mean, would you like to keep him and be able to send him to AAA? Sure, that would probably be ideal because it's hard to believe a guy like this is going to survive the whole season on, on a 26-man roster, especially with how you have things positioned right now. But maybe he hits lefties. I mean, do we believe that, you know, Josh Naylor finally hit left-handers last year? Is that going to be the case in 2024? I don't know. Do, does anybody know? Can De Los Santos be the right platoon guy for that? I mean, it's worth finding out. The worst case scenario, you send him back to, to Arizona and it's a couple hundred thousand dollars for your chance and to see what happens. And if he sticks, you know, and you, you scratch off a hundred thousand dollars on your lottery ticket, it works out great. I don't think there's a whole lot of downside here as much as it's probably harder for De Los Santos. It's probably tougher for him than it is for the guardians, truthfully for him to stick and what that could do for his career. If, if he's forced to stay in the roster all year and, and not get the reps that he probably needs. I have an idea. The Guardians and Diamondbacks, every year, this this year included, they play two exhibition games at the end of spring training at Chase Park, Chase Field, Field Stadium, Arena Field, Chase Field. Um, they field should house. just, if one team wins both of those games, they own the rights to De Los Santos. If they oh. split. You just keep the rule five rules intact and go about your business. But I think okay. those two games should be the Davis and De Los so like Santos the, Bowl. Like the GLC, the Great Lakes Classic. And in this case, it's not a barge. It's Davis and De Los Santos. That's the trophy. I dig it. Call Rob Manfred. I'm in. I mean... It would be nice if he didn't have to worry about the cold in Cleveland like every other young player would. Could send him a little bit further south to not have to worry about the frozen tundra of progressive field in April, like perhaps they're worrying about with Kyle Manzardo. I mean, we've been having this conversation, Justin, for, I mean, really, it doesn't even go back to when they acquired him. It's like you're already looking ahead. Well, maybe, maybe he can make the jump at the end of the year. Well, okay, I understand not you want to slow play him a little bit because he was injured. You want to make sure he's healthy. Well, he was healthy. And then he was really healthy into the offseason. He really looked it. And it it instantly has us just craving him on the opening day roster. Yet, Zach, you've talked about it. You get the sense that, not that it's going to happen, but it, it's, it's not like it's a, a foregone conclusion here, one way or the other, but that he's going to be on the, the opening day roster here. There's a chance that he's going to open at AAA Columbus, and I'm just, like, from, from a development standpoint, does that make sense? From a trying-to-win standpoint, does that make sense? What is this team trying to do in 2024? Like like you guys said, like Shane Beaver's back, but also they have a Rule 5 pick on the roster, and you're paying close to $7 million or whatever it is for a setup man. It, it's really hard to, to see the concrete direction here. It just If you just look at the 40-man roster, I think, or even the 26-man roster, Kyle Manzardo is undoubtedly one of your best 26 players. And it always makes sense to put your best 26 on the field. And you could always argue that the timing of your, of your roster matters more. Because, you know, the opening day roster is never the same in October. But at the same time, you still have to get there. And 
you know, is, is five weeks, six weeks, whatever it is for Kyle Manzar to be in, in AAA and for Columbus to be 50 degrees or 40 degrees and Cleveland to be 30 degrees. Is that going to make much of a difference on your, 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 your outcome? I mean, the twins could easily win this division with 84 wins. Cleveland could win 84 games and win this division. I, I don't see any reason to keep him in AAA. I don't think he has anything left to prove there. And like I said, he's one of your best 26 players. So that's what you should be going for. If you're, if you're trying to put your best foot forward, I don't know. I'm not going to handicap rookie of the year odds, but it's a pretty good class coming into this year. So the odds are that it's going to be hard for him to, to crack that uh, rookie of the year and get that draft pick promotion. But so if you don't think he's going to, then I guess it makes sense to to get that seventh year. Mm. That's your only incentive to do, and it's a bad incentive, but he's one of your best 26 players. Yeah. If you're trying to win, put him on the roster. Well, you don't want to forecast Rookie of the Year yet. I could have said that about Tanner Bybee, who had him finishing second in Rookie of the Year at this time last year. None of us. None of us would have said that. So it's 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 very possible it just played out this past year. You're right, though. It's, it's What are you trying to accomplish? And... There's going to be something's not going to add up, right? If you have, I understand the rule five obligations, but if you have a 20 year old who's never played above double A on your opening day roster and you say, oh, we don't want to throw this 23 year old who's performed really well at triple A and in the Arizona Fall League, um, we don't want to throw him into the fire in April. Like that, come on, we can see through that. So I, I don't know. I, I, any question, TJ, that you pose has me saying, like, I don't know, and I'm excited to see how this all plays out in spring training. Like, that. that's, this is the most, it's the strangest yet, like, mysteriously interesting roster that they've had in a while. Uh, that's not even a compliment, really, because there are so many unknown commodities, and inevitably some of them will fail. But I don't know. You're naming all these names and like I'm like this might be the most I've paid attention to actually to actual Cactus <laughs> League games because I want to see how these guys perform and, and all the different yeah. roster battles that are going on. Well, Justin, you're so focused on the minor leagues. With Manzardo, what makes you excited? What what that he that you've seen so far really leads you to believe that he's got the ability to come up here and have success, be one of the t- the best 26, as you said, on this roster right now. He can hit 20 home runs. Is, isn't that enough for this team? Any Anybody who can hit, hit 20 home runs ought to be exciting for this team. Um, you know, he, he, this team loves guys who make contact. He makes contact, but he also has a little bit of power. He can take a walk. That's exciting. And he does one of the things that, is also most easily, I'm not saying it's easy to predict, but if you want to try to predict these things, he puts the ball in the air and he pulls it. That's like the best thing you can do if you want power. I mean, ask Jose Ramirez, a guy who doesn't have the most freakish exit velocities in the league, but every year he's 25 to 30 home runs. And Kyle Manzardo puts the ball in the air and he pulls it to his the best side of his, his uh, platoon. So that's exciting. I don't know if he's going to hit lefties, but that feels like a guy you can put – four or five in your order and you know, you're going to get 20, 25 home runs out of, you're going to get some, some on base skills. I don't know what will hit, but I think it's an easy transition for him to the majors as easy as it's going to get for any prospect. You know, that's not a, a top five prospect that, you know, not, not an Evan Carter or Wyatt Langford from Texas, but yeah, if you can get 20 home runs and, and get a guy who has an 800 OPS and just be a, a slightly above league average bat, I mean, just getting a league average bat from anybody last year was a huge win 
And if he can be that, your lineup just gets a little bit deeper. And I think he can be that. Should we start a petition to get Manzardo on the opening day roster? Like a movement? A rally? Give the fans what they want to see. Is that going to work? I don't know. Blue seats and a petition to get Manzardo on the team. No, one of the above-average spots on this team, as we projected today, could come from your catcher. <laughs> That's shocking enough. We saw Bo Naylor come up here, and it, I think we all anticipated that he was going to struggle, right? We thought, as, as long as... The bar was set pretty low with what you were already getting out of Zunino. So if he was better than that, it already felt like a victory. But this is also an investment in the future. So you're going to keep that in mind. Even if he comes up here and is only, you know, an 80 WRC plus, that's fine because he's going to get better. And this is all time invested in making him better. And then by the end of the year, damn, this guy looked like one of the best hitters on the team. <laughs> in some ways, was besting his brother. And was even showcasing us a bit of, of power that I don't know that we saw all the time in the minor leagues. And you're, you're paying so much attention to that, Justin. What we saw in the final two months, especially in the, the final month, how much of that is true Bo Naylor growth? Maybe how much can we expect a little bit of regression? I mean, you've been st studying this kid for, for years and years now. You've seen him go through the struggles. Now we've seen him blossom into being a complete offensive guy at the minor league level. And then he showcases a little bit more of that at the major league level. It's easy to dream on someone like him. Yeah, he's, he's an exciting player. There were a lot of people who kind of put him on the back burner after that bad 2021 season and were ready to kind of give up. And, you know, I, not that my opinion counts for anything, but I was willing to give the kid a mulligan because it was coming off of 2020 and, and playing in 2021 at double A at a very high level. Cleveland has always challenged him. He was 19 years old in A ball. I mean, not a lot of guys were, were catching, let alone playing at a ball at 19. So he was always challenged to go there, but I mean, he was a 2020 guy in 2022 before he came up at the end of the year. I mean, Cleveland was so they didn't use him for whatever reason you want to come up with, but they were so adamant about getting him on the roster at the end of 2022 and having him on the playoff roster just to be there for the experience. So clearly they like him a lot. And yeah, the, I think the 2020 thing is real. He didn't really run. Like you talk about the power, I think the power's always been there for Bo Naylor. I think what surprised me is a great athlete. The 20 steals in AAA, I'd like to see if he could run again this year. Can you kind of give him the green light? He's a guy who's going to draw a lot of walks. He's going to be on base. I think some of that depends on where he's going to hit in the lineup as well. But, I mean, I think the 20 home run, 20, I don't know about 20 steals, depends on the rules and what you want to do with him and how much you want to save his legs and how often you're going to get him in the lineup. But, this is clearly a guy who needs to play, what, 140 games, whether that's catching, DH, whatever else you want to do with him. There you go. But, I mean, there you go, Zach. <laughs> Music to your ears, buddy. DHing out of someone that was your catcher. It's amazing. Justin, what do you make of depth behind him? And not Hedges or Fry, but is Lavastida still breathing? Is there anybody else beyond him where you could see someone being a tandem with Bo Naylor in the future? Yeah, Christian Bethencourt. Any any chance that they can they can go get him back? Ah! Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was I was irrationally excited about about the idea of Christian Bethencourt just to to kind of free things up catcher wise. And I do like David Fry. I mean nobody took Lavastita in the Rule Five draft, and you know, Rule Five is is unpredictable and 
Catchers are kind of easy to hide if you really like one. As far as rule five picks go, because everyone needs a, a backup catcher. And if you have a really good one, you're not going to play the backup that much. So you could easily hide them. Nobody took them. So I guess that's kind of a sign of things. But catcher is one of those spots in the system that's just, it's a it's a pretty rough wasteland right now. I mean, yeah, Lava Steed is no longer on the 40. They drafted a couple of guys in the 2023 draft. But it's kind of a free fall. It's, it's Bo Naylor. And then it's, it might be Ralphie Velasquez. Cooper Ingle is interesting. But I mean, you're you're talking about pretty much the jump from. We hope Bo Naylor is healthy and can play 140 games for the next five years until Ralphie Velasquez, and even then, you're you're kind of hoping that Ralphie Velasquez is going to hit too much to stay a catcher. So it's it's a precarious position. I don't I don't see a whole lot of depth back there. Now hold on. Let, I mean, we've been complaining about having one. We finally get one, and Zach's demanding they have another one. Come on, can't you just be happy with the one that they finally have developed at that position? I mean, yeah, my that's God. a good good point because I forgot that they weren't allowed to acquire Sean Murphy because they already had Bo Naylor. <laughs> that's, as you always say, if you have two catches, you have none. That's how the bit goes. Uh, let's let's shift gears to another important position on the diamond shortstop. And we've seen, I mean, for years and years, it was they've got too many shortstops; they're not going to be able to play them all, and. They're going to be finding other places on the diamond for these guys to play. And here was Zach and, and I for years and years saying, uh, yeah, but uh, w- what if you just consolidate some of them into a proven guy? I don't know, like like a Murphy. And then the years played out and we've seen a lot of these guys debut. And a lot, any, if, if there was any ever any hype tied to any of them, most of it has long disappeared, at least to the point where they are going to be somebody that's going to fetch you some big leaguer in a, a trade. Of the, 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 the guys that we've seen debut or have been close to debuting, whether it's Arias, whether it's Rocchio, whether it's Freeman, whether it's Martinez, uh, Tana, I'm trying to remember anybody else. I, think I might have caught all of them. Is there anybody that maybe we're, a little, we're not as high on as we were a couple of years ago that you still are not ready to, to give up on yet, or at least you, you believe has a chance to help this team, or who has the best chance to help this team? I think the easy answer is Juan Brito as far as the middle infield. I mean, yeah, definitely. I think you're seeing some prospect fatigue with, with Brian Rocchio as well, just because he was considered a, you know, top one, two, three, however you want to order it in, in the system. And he's fallen in a lot of top hundred lists. So if he doesn't get the chance, like I said, this is his last option year. It's, it's Arias's last option year. If he doesn't get the chance now, I don't know what you're going to do with any of them. Um, but I, I kind of get the feeling their best bet now is, is Andre Semenez at short and Juan Brito at second, but you don't want to give up on a Brian Rocchio before you really see if those bat to ball skills can translate to the major leagues and he can play shortstop and you don't have to move Andre Semenez away from his platinum glove position. And you can maybe use one of those other guys in a trade. Martinez had a rough year last year. He's still extremely young. Diane Frias is an interesting player, but I think he's like a utility guy and, you know, he didn't play above a ball last year. So yeah, I think it's just the guys that have not gotten opportunities and, you know, they spent all last year with the guy I'm not going to name at shortstop and waited to, to go elsewhere with the, the middle infield debate. And now you've got to play it out again this year with, with Tyler Freeman, with Jose Tana, with Gabriel Arias, with Brian Rocchio. And, you know, hopefully Juan Brito knocks, knocks the door down to the major leagues. Then what? 
Can you imagine if they stocked stockpiled all these shortstops over the years, and then the answer was none of them? Actually, it's the second baseman that we got for <laughs> Nolan Jones. <laughs> none of them could play center field. Speaking speaking of that guy they got from Nolan Jones, I mean we we've talked glowingly about Brito in the past. What what are you seeing from him? Are we, is that hype that we've been kind of attaching to him? Is it worth it? Yeah, yes and no. I know that's like the most unfavorable answer ever is yes and no. Again, he does some of the things really well you want to see from a young middle infield switch hitter. He does the things like Manzardo. I, I hate to, everyone wants to say like, oh, there's some similarities to Jose Ramirez there because again, he's undersized and he pulls the ball well. He puts the ball in the air very well. Um, so I, I still think there's enough offensive skills that are translatable for him to be a league average hitter. The real question is, where is he going to wind up on the diamond? Like second base is probably his best position. I don't know that he can play another infield spot. You put him in left field. Do you move Steven Kwan? Like that's that's a real question. I think defensively it's limited for him, and he lacks some other offensive skills that would make him a more exciting player. But And I, I still need to see more from him from the right side too. I, I thought he struggled last year quite a bit against left-handers, so... There's certainly a reason for pause there, but there's certainly a reason for excitement because, again, this is a guy who doesn't, you know, knock your socks off with exit velocities and hitting the ball hard, but he has a good command of the strike zone. He does make a, a good amount of contact, and he pulls the ball in the air, and that's a good way to get the most out of your offensive profile, and I think he can do that at the big league level. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Okay, I have one random tangent, and it's this analogy that probably is only going to make sense to me. Um, you know, in those like those shows, like American Idol, all those where it's it's down to the final ten, and they call two people up to the front and they send one of them home. Um, they do that so America's Got Talent. My wife makes me watch it. Um, they do the same thing where it's like there will be seven people left and three advanced to next week. And they call up two at a time and they vote one of them out. And so they just like drag this out, whatever. But that is what the shortstop competition reminds me of because there was one time Terry Crews is the host. Why am I admitting any of this? Terry Crews was the, is the host of America's Got Talent. And I will never forget one episode we were watching where he calls like three people to the front of the stage. And he's like, you know, you think one of them is going to advance and two of them are going to get sent home. And he just goes, and advancing to next week is none of you. And my wife and I looked at each other and started dying of laughter because, like, we, when have you ever heard them just send everybody home? And, like, why, like, why would you do that to these people? That's so mean. But it reminds me of the shortstop competition where it's like, Rokio, Arias, Freeman, step forward. One of you is going to be the starting shortstop, we think. But then they're just like, none of you. It's Brito or it's Diane Frias. I, I don't know. But it's that's what that reminds me of. And now I have to tell my wife that I shared this moment on the podcast. 
and also not show my face in public again because the whole world knows that I watch America's Got Talent. It's so bad. I'm out. Peace. You, you admit that readily. Don't don't pretend. <laughs> don't pretend like you don't. Uh, who do you think Justin has the best shot to open the season at shortstop? Whoever has the best thirty games in Arizona, right? That's that's the best way to make that. a decision here. I don't I don't know that I buy that completely. Is that all that they're focused on? I don't I don't buy that. I mean if you had to if you had to put money down today, who is it going to be? I'm really bad at, at gambling, so I'm gonna say Gabriel Arias because that's the, probably the losing bet because I don't ever <laughs> do well on bets. So probably Gabriel Arias. I, I don't know. I mean, you talked about, you know, throwing a dartboard at any random player. I feel like you could throw a, a dart at the dartboard and land on the right player as as accurately as Cleveland might in this this decision making. Zach, I, I think we've discovered a new segment for coming up in spring training. We're just going to spin the wheel, and we're going to try to talk about why that player is interesting. And I guarantee we're going to be able to do it. Like, is there anybody that it could land on that you would say, nah, Jose, <laughs> that's it, because he's too damn good. Everybody else, no, we're going to find something that's interesting about them. I vividly remember the spring of 2015, I think it was, where literally everything was set. The only thing they had to decide was like TJ House or Zach McAllister as the fifth starter. And that was it. We asked about that every single day. There was nothing else to write. And also that team stunk. So why wasn't there more roster competition in spring training? But um, that's the antithesis to this. It's like, like, yeah, there are people who are like, you know, Quan's going to be in there, but is he going to play left? Is he going to play center? What can he do to improve? It's like, you're right. It's like outside of Jose Ramirez and uh, that might be it. <laughs> like Everybody else has a storyline or two. And many of these storylines are tangled together. So it makes for, again, like I will be a broken record. You can be completely turned off by this offseason how last season went you can be bored of baseball frustrated with baseball in terms of strictly spring training I, this is as interesting of a group as i can remember because when they were good there wasn't much to talk about it was just get to the season or there or you know how many springs have has it been like i i remember doing a radio hit and uh, I can say it like I, I was it was Kenny Rhoda in like I think 2019 and he asked me who's going to be playing in the outfield and I listed and I was like well it's you're going to see Jordan Luplo and you're going to see Carlos Gonzalez and you're going to and it's and there was like a 10 second pause when I got done and then finally he's just like are you freaking kidding me <laughs> like we don't have that this year. I mean, it's not pretty, but they're like, I'm interested to see what George Valera can do. I'm interested to see what, if Will Brennan can stick, yeah. like it, it's, it's better than watching Domingo Santana. So I, I'm not saying it's going to be good, but I'd rather have, I don't know. Uh, at least it'll be interesting in February and March. I can't promise April through September. I mean, you're, you're sort of right. I, I am going to be super excited the first time I see Estevan Florial written into a spring training lineup, but you better believe I'm going to be paying attention to that game. What am I going to learn about that kid in one spring training game? Absolutely nothing. But because, as we've talked about before, I have no pre 
existing expectation level for him. To me, I'm thinking, could this guy be better than Miles Straw? Well, I think that's possible because even offensively, with what has been deemed not acceptable by the Yankees is what Miles Straw has been giving you for Cleveland. So yeah, I think there's some upside there. I still am interested to see what this kid can be. Am I off base, Justin, for at least being interested in Florial, that pickup, finding some intrigue there? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> if your bar is, can he hit better than Miles Straw, then yeah, there's reason to be interested because that's not a super high bar to clear, unfortunately. And he's different than everybody else in this roster. Again, everybody on this roster, for the most part, is they make contact. They put the ball in play. They don't strike out. Estevan Florial is probably going to strike out in 30% of his at-bats. But in the other, other at-bats, can he hit a double? Can he hit a home run? Can he steal 20 bases? Is he going to be a downgrade defensively from Straw? Can he be equal? I mean, if he's any of those things, even if it's just a platoon partner, like even if you put Miles Straw, I don't, I don't think Miles Straw has any strong splits either way, but if Estevan Florial needs to be protected against lefties and he can be close to a league average hitter, I mean, I don't even know, if, do you even need league average? Like if you put plus defense out there and you get an 80 WRC plus out of Estevan Florial, that's still... That's what do you guys talk about all the time? F's, F's to C's like that's still a C from an F. So, yeah, if you can get I, I'm also there. in if, if he's willing to steal some bases, something that Miles Straw just forgot or was unwilling to do. And it's like this. You are in this this lineup because we anticipate that you're going to play gold glove defense. Well, that fell off from the, at least the metrics. I don't know that I saw that with my eyes as much, but I didn't see the spectacular plays. I don't think he was a bad defender last year, but I didn't see him physically changing the game defensively the way that we have seen in the past. But also, if you get on base, the one of the few times that you do, my God, you need to be standing on second base like 30 seconds later. The bases got bigger and he got more reserved on stealing bases. It was boggling my brain the whole year. So if Floriel is willing to steal a few more bases and, and the opportunities that he does get on base, that's again at least a lot more interesting than the guy that was playing center field. What we don't know, we might not eventually like what we see, but not knowing is better than knowing and not liking it. Does that make any sense? No, not, not at all. That sounds like a Michael Scott quote. <laughs> none at all. Let's run through some, some minor leaguers that we're interested to hear more about from your perspective, Justin. We've talked Rocchio, we've talked Manzardo, we've talked Espino. We haven't talked about Chase DeLauder yet. And this is someone that, you know, we're talking about, oh, what are they going to do with this outfield? Could he be the answer later this year? Could we see Chase DeLauder? I'm not ruling it out. If he were to have a very strong showing in the minor leagues, could we be seeing him in 24? That would probably go against everything Cleveland normally does. They're usually super conservative with their prospects. So he would start at double A and, Guys skip AAA sometimes. I don't know that they skip AAA in Cleveland necessarily, but he would really have to be on fire. And I think you have to ask yourself the question too. If if Chase DeLauder is up, let's say in August, what happened to Will Brennan? What happened to George Valera? What happened to Jonathan Rodriguez? Like, did you burn through all those options? Are they hurt? Did you trade somebody? Like, there's just so much in the way. And I'm not saying Chase DeLauder couldn't be good enough to be in consideration to be promoted in August and September, but all those guys are on your 40 man roster. And none of those guys, I mean, outside of Will Brennan had a full year last year. That was a little under underwhelming. Like none of those guys have any experience. They actually went through the exercise of putting Rodriguez on the 40 man roster, unlike Oscar Gonzalez a couple of years ago. So 
clearly they value him a little more than that. But so, yeah, if Chase DeLauder is there, I, I think you have to ask yourself the question, what happened to those guys first? Not that Chase DeLauder, he's definitely, I would say, has more upside than all of them. Justin Wood, this might be an unfair question. The national outlets are starting to release their top 100. Our favorite kind. And <laughs> DeLauder's on every list, rightfully so. We've talked about Manzardo, Brito. How many top 100 prospects is fair for this organization? And outside of maybe those three guys, like who deserves consideration? But what's what's a fair number? Well, you just spoiled something for me because I have not looked at anybody's top 100 yet. I don't like to look at anybody else's list before. I finished my own. I haven't quite finished things yet. So now I know where, where Chase DeLauder is. Um, I I think Kyle Manzardo's a top 100 prospect. I think DeLauder is. I'm sure Rokio still is. If you believe that Daniel Espino can still be the pitcher he was before the shoulder injury, he's a top 100 talent, but I, I feel like you're probably too far removed to keep him on the top 100. So... I would probably give a vote to, to Ralphie Velasquez. So four, five, if you're really feeling optimistic, but in that three to five range is probably the sweet spot, depending on how optimistic you are. Is it fair? Well, it doesn't really matter if it's fair, but is it fair that we don't even talk about George Valera anymore? And he very, not that long, he, he was part of those top 100 lists. He was in the conversation for the best prospect in this minor league system. And Zach, you said it a couple of weeks ago. He's never totally failed, like just fell flat on his face. He just has not given us, given us that final oomph that makes you believe, oh, yeah, like this, this dude can be a stud. He just kind of keeps existing and pushing along, but never quite pushing through the way that you hope. Is it still in there for him? I mean, the best ability is, is availability, right? Like, he has to be able to play. I think it is still in there. And there's probably some modicum here of, of prospect fatigue because he's been on all those lists for years and he hasn't made it to the majors. When you've made a top 100 list or you've been your organization's top, like, three, five prospect for, like, three or four years, everyone expects you to be in the majors and graduate at some point. And had George Valera been healthy, had 20, you know, 2020 also is thrown in there for him as well. But had all those things not happened, would he already be in the major leagues? Probably. Or at least he would have, you would have found out that he wasn't going to make it at this point if, if he hadn't made it and he was healthy. So, yeah, there's some prospect fatigue there. He's got to stay healthy. But I think you've definitely learned some things with him in the minors. Like, he definitely struggles against left-handers. He doesn't quite have the the ability to make contact. You, you probably hoped at one point. So I think you've seen that ceiling kind of come down a little bit for him, which is probably part of it. But I still think you, you can throw in prospect fatigue there and you can throw in the fact that he just hasn't played. He's been hurt too many times to, to really consider what he can do or that he should have already graduated. Justin, you've been doing this for a few years, looking at minor leaguers. And I, I, I'm always very delicate in how I pay attention to the minor leagues because I know myself, I know if I pay too much attention I talk myself into somebody. I, I, I build somebody up much higher than they should be. You, you do this, and you've been doing it for so long, but I imagine you had those, those, those moments early in your career doing this, that you're just, 
You're so focused on this Cleveland system. Oh, okay, well, this guy's a nut. Can't miss, and maybe he never even reaches the major leagues. At what point do you feel like you've, or, or what has helped you better weigh things within the system? When you're looking just at one system in particular, how do you balance that? Because I, I think that's an incredible skill to be able to put aside personal biases or, or, or not just fall in love with a particular skill set or a, a number at the, the AA or AAA level. How has that progressed for you? Do you feel like that? Have, have you been able to, to look back throughout your career in writing and, and figure out, yeah, I, I'm much better, I do a much better job now evaluating a prospect than I did you know, five, ten years ago? Uh, I mean, I'm still not any more accurate than I probably was. <laughs> but who is? Several who years is? ago. None of us are. <laughs> I mean, now that you brought it up, I'm I'm going to do my list, and now I'm going to do like a random number generator or like some sort of dartboard and put a list together based off that and see which one's more accurate. But yeah, I've learned more. I mean, there's more data available now. There's more places you can read stuff to just learn. I, I coming into this, I mean, I, I didn't play college ball or I didn't, you know, any of that stuff. A lot of people who do this for a living, uh, I don't really do this for a living, but people played a lot longer. They've, they've gone through a lot more instruction. So I've learned a lot more about mechanics and what date, you know, learning more about data, things that weren't available several years ago that I've had to pick up on some of it. I'm not smart enough to totally pick up on, but I at least consider it in my rankings now. So there's that. And and just trying to get to more games and talking to other people there, you know, talking to other scouts, talking to other writers and people who like even just broadcasters who see every game of a certain team, uh, even the road broadcasters, like getting a, an opinion from a road broadcaster who has seen a certain guy. So I think talking to more people over the years has helped too. I think that that takes away my own bias or maybe helps me see something I didn't see before. And I, I love to read the list too. And I, I find more now that I like to go into games a little more blind. Obviously, I know more about Guardians prospects than other people, but I try to go into a game as blind and as unbiased as I can and, and just take away whatever I see that given day. But that's still, it's still very hard and still, there's still a lot I don't know. Come on, Zach, admit it. Who was it? Who was the guy that you thought was a can't miss? It's going to be an absolute stud and you totally <laughs> flopped on. The list is longer than a CVS receipt. I mean, I, it, I don't know. I, I feel like I haven't been right on anyone yet. <laughs> I always pick like the random hard throwing relievers who have no shot or I don't know. I'm trying to think of like who, I mean, I thought Laporta was going to hit 40 home runs. Um, I don't know. Andy Marte, rest in peace. Mm. Oh, Did you oh, make I'll your tell annual you Fran Mill prediction for 40 bombs yet? Yeah. No, you know who I remember Fernando Cabrera? I thought that guy was going to be Mariano Rivera. Um and I actually I was talking with Ruben Niebla recently and I didn't realize that like he worked with Fernando Cabrera a lot like in the lower levels and he thought Fernando Cabrera and Jason Davis were going to be like the shutdown 8th and ninth inning guys for 10 years. And that didn't happen. Justin, is there anybody that you'd like to just 
wipe that off of digital existence. That no, that never happened. I don't know. What, I don't know what you're talking about. If Twitter still works to the capacity that you could search back tweets from ten years ago, the t- player I probably tweet about the most was Cody Anderson. I think that was I had such a prospect crush on Cody Anderson before he became the mayor of of Goodyear. I we could have been doing this show, and I could have told you he is going to be the next Jake Westbrook. If we were doing the show three years ago, I would have told you that Carlos Vargas was going to be the next great setup guy and that Cleveland's rotation was going to be a lot of fun because they're going to have two Logan Allens in the rotation. So yeah, there's a lot of things that I probably <laughs> should go back and delete from Twitter. I mean, we we've said it before guys, this, this sport in particular, because it's all about failure, but if you want to be right more times than not, then just be skeptical because that's where you're always going to find a successful batting average, if you come at it, that guy's not going to make it. That guy's not going to amount to anything. That guy's not going to be a star player because that's just the way that it goes. It's so rare that that someone comes up with the prospect pedigree and just answers on that or answers in a timely manner. I mean, how many – you look at Detroit at, over at, at first base for them. They thought that that was going to be set from the minute that dude stepped through the door, and yet it took some time. Maybe now as he enters his third year, right? Torkelson, it looks like okay. He looks like he's he's set to finally take off. Even here in Cleveland, we saw signs with Josh Naylor. It's like, oh, this dude going back to the playoff game against the Yankees back in 2020. You're like, oh, here it is. This this he's going to be a part of this middle of the order for a long time. And it wasn't even until last year that he put it all together and finally hit against those lefties, as you talked about. So so don't feel bad about it. But let's leave on a positive note. Who's someone that we haven't talked about now that you do have that prospect crush on? Someone that's not necessarily at the top of anybody's list, but you're willing to go to bat for because you think they have more than everybody. They're missing it. A lot of no's. Not everybody else knows. This this is my guy. I don't know if he's my guy, but the, the player I'm most interested in seeing this year is a guy who barely throws 90 miles an hour. It's it's Will Dion. I, you know, now he's pit- going to be pitching a triple A this year. We'll get to see some stat cast data on him. If I told you this guy's throwing 90 miles an hour, how many, how many home runs would you expect that he would have gave up last year in double A? Like just ballpark and how many home runs? 20. Mm, I'll, I'll say <laughs> Luke, I'll, I'll say Lucas Giolito amount of home runs. He gave up six home runs at double A last year. He throws, I mean, this is a guy who probably tops out at 92, 93 on a good day, a lot of 89s, 90s. It's the Kershaw and delivery, right? if you took away everything, it was, actually. And later in the year, he kind of ditched that. He took away the more upright front leg thing, and he opted for more of a like a little back tilt, so it's a little different now. Um, but if you, if you took away everything from, from his line, like if you didn't know who he was, if you didn't know how hard he threw, you just looked at the stats on paper, you would wonder why this guy is not a a top 10 prospect in the system. Why isn't anybody talking about him? It's because he throws 88 to 92 at best, but the numbers there are sparkling and (laughs) he keeps the ball on the ground. Guys don't hit home runs off him. He's hard to square up. You know, Joey Cantillo is really hard to square up. He doesn't give a lot of hard contact either, but. People know who he is because now he can throw 96. And you'd like to believe Cleveland can find a way to make Will Dion throw a little bit harder. But the, the velocity says this guy shouldn't succeed. 
but the data says that he is. So I'm really interested to watch him this year and see what makes him so good. If if there's something we can see in the data at AAA, why this guy is hard to hit and why he can make it work at 90 miles an hour. And if, if there's more in the tank. Is this farm system... Like, I think they've... I was trying to evaluate. Have they... Keith Law had them as the number two farm system in baseball a couple of years ago. And I think he was a little, I don't want to say premature, but early on that. And then they were top three or top five by a couple other outlets in recent years. And I was wondering like if they got enough mileage out of the prospects who made them that well-liked. I think Bybee and Williams do a lot of the heavy lifting there. Because if you look like Quan was not the reason they were a top five farm system. Um, even Jimenez really wasn't like he wasn't a prospect at that time. So it's, it's, if you, if you like Bybee and Williams, you, you build your argument around them. I guess I'm just wondering like where they seem to be more middle of the pack now. Like where, where is this farm system? It's a general question, but like, I don't want to say I don't want to ask you if they're trending one direction or another because I know they would just say, "Well, we just continuously want to keep pumping more and more talent into the organization." But like, are they are they in a good place? Is it healthy? Um, and maybe if they don't have like a Bybee or a Williams at in the upper levels right now, like, are there guys brewing down below to where there are reinforcements coming? A year from now, two years from now, like w- w- just in a, in a general sense, because we've talked about all the individuals, where is this farm system and how would you compare it to where it was maybe two years ago and where it might be two years from now? There, that's like 12 questions in one. Congrats. The, the upside of this, if we're going to go the positive route is... Come July, the farm system will be in a much better place because they're picking number one overall and they've got a ton of money to play with in the draft pool because of that. So that's really good. That should put them in a much better place. And hopefully they're taking somebody number one overall that has a chance to play on this team in the next two years, three years, if if they are willing to be a little more aggressive than they normally are, if they get the kind of talent number one overall that they're usually not able to, to come by, but you know, picking 12th or 18th or whatever, but yeah, it's definitely not in the same place. It has been. I mean, what propped it up all those years was these middle infielders, right? It was, it was Tyler Freeman. It was Brian Rocchio. Then it was Gabriel Arias. And then, you know, they traded Nolan Jones, who was the number one overall prospect for, for several years. Um, I, I feel like Bybee and Williams and, and even Allen to some respects weren't, in the system long enough to really like, yeah, like you said, it, it did a lot of heavy lifting for them, but they graduated to the majors much faster than Cleveland would have hoped. So I feel like they weren't around long enough to really boost the value of the system. I mean, even people didn't catch on to Tanner Bybee until a year later. And by the time people caught on to him, he was in the major league. So you didn't have a lot of time for him to, to boost the system up. But yeah, I mean, guys just have not, progress george valera has like i said he probably should have graduated by now had he been healthy and they were forced to put a guy like john kenza noel on the 40-man roster after the pandemic because they you know had to make some tough decisions based on a year they didn't see anybody play so it's definitely at best middle of the pack right now 
And that's going to depend on how healthy Daniel Espino is. Like I'm, I'm trying to say that with him, like I'm not going to get excited until he's in spring training, throwing bullpens and not reporting any pain because until then it's very hard to, to know where things go. There are definitely some interesting arms, but I feel like there's always interesting arms because this system, this organization develops pitching really well, but the next couple of years, you could see some international guys pop their way up. If Khalil Watson, they figure that out, maybe that's an exciting player, but it definitely lacks the upside of, of guys they once had on top 100 lists. Like like you said, Chase DeLauder's on there, and there's probably not a lot of other guys on there. So it's definitely middle of the pack trending down right now. But, you know, come July, we could be talking about a very different story, hopefully. Well, Justin, you know, we appreciate the time today, buddy. Uh, we'll, we'll let you get out of here after dealing with our stupidity for an hour and 10 minutes here. <laughs> Uh, but I want to give you a moment to to tell everyone where to find your work. Of course, people listening to this are probably very familiar with Locked On Guardians. You and Jeff do a, a tremendous job every single day on YouTube and all the, the usual places people listen. But just kind of promote what you got going on over there at Locked On Guardians and or Locked On Guardians and where they can find some of your prospect stuff coming up next month. Yeah, we're still scraping for content every night on Locked On Guardians. Thankfully, we're only three days a week in January and then Come spring training, we're we're back to five days a week, which there'll be more to talk about that in spring training. So that's good. We'll be over on all those podcast places and, and YouTube. And uh, as far as writing goes, yeah, I'll put everything up on uh, nextyearincleveland.substack. You know, all, if that still exists over there. People are still using Substack. I'll put all that stuff up on there. I'm probably going to start doing some profiles in February. I'm ten, I have rankings tentatively hammered out, but... Uh, you know, is there gonna is a trade gonna happen? Do I have to rework my rankings? I don't know. I'm hoping I do, just for the off season's sake. But uh, I feel like I'm coming close to landing my rankings, and then I can start writing some reports that'll drop probably around February. I don't know, Zach. Do we got a trade coming? Got anything coming down? I don't know. We have Guards Fest this weekend. Can you imagine if they make a trade while? How much did you like, like if they trade a player <laughs> as he's talking to the media or as he's signing autographs? <laughs> How much did you examine the list to see who's going to be there, who's not? Oh, what do we read into that? Who's not going to be? Oh, mm, where's mm. Bieber? Where's he at? Dan Otero and Chris Jimenez and Rajay Davis will be there. Star studded event. Mm. And Zach Meisel will be there. Biggest star of them all. Thanks, Justin. 